Hey, I'm Green. And I'm Gort. And this is the Kiss Communication, where we'll be subjecting ourselves to wonderful albums like Rock and Roll Over. I don't, I don't know what to say. <laughs> this, this was, uh, this album was an interesting experience. Um, it felt like it. It genuinely felt like the label, because they've like kind of steadily released two albums a year. Or yeah. well, they did that for their first two albums were the same. Like the the label expected two albums this year, and they had already did Destroyer, and they put all their energy into Destroyer, so they just like made this. Yeah, this is the second Kiss album of 1976, and uh, it certainly feels like the second album to come up within a year. Although Otter Than Hell was better than the first album, so who knows? Yeah. Um. Well, I know, and I know that it's bad. This it is bad. bad. It's not a very good album. <laughs> it's probably one of the more interesting album artworks that we've seen in a while. Yeah, the guy who did this album also did uh, some compilation they did in 2009, apparently. Wow. Yeah. Michael Doret Dore. So, uh, Wreck It Ralph. <laughs> there you go. Um, Greg Prado of All Music was largely praising of Rock and Roll Over, proclaiming it one of Kiss's most consistent records. Well, would you call this album consistent? I would say consistently bad. <laughs> <laughs> most definitely. That's, yeah, that's the it's... best thing you could say for it, is that it is consistent. It's certainly consistent. It's very consistently Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> what? Uh, I don't. Is there? I'm, a... I'm very tired. I don't. I didn't like listening to this album at the end of my day. <laughs> this album kind of. I won't say ruined my day, but I was coming home and I had a really good day and I was like, oh, I gotta listen to this. <laughs> um, I was not you have anything? Anything you want to highlight before we get into the actual album? Um. No, I really like the artwork. That's probably the best thing about this album is the artwork. The album art's really good, yeah. This is, we talked about this last week, but it is the first album to not be recorded. No, wait, that was last album. Destroyer was the first album to not be recorded in the same studio. Yeah, this this is the album where they like recorded it in a theater or something, right? According to Wikipedia, it's recorded at the Star Theater in Nanuit, New York. Okay. Is that like upstate? Where is that? I have no idea. I don't know New York. Yeah, I think it is. It according to Wikipedia, uh, which is most of what I do on this show is just read off of Wikipedia genius. Um, is a Nanuit is a hamlet and census designated place in the town of Clarkstown, which is it's, it's downstate New York. It's like south. Oh, of, it's like further down the eastern seaboard towards like everything else. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's pretty close to the New Jersey border. Um, I don't know a lot about New York. My dad's a geographer. I shouldn't know this, but. Um, well, I don't know anything about New York. I don't live in the United States, so. Yeah, maps were, were not my thing. Okay. <clears throat> uh, right. The, oh, um, the other thing I wanted to talk about. There's one more thing. Um, Peter, Peter Chris recorded all of these drums in a bathroom of the theater. 
to get a That's better cool. sound, apparently. Yeah, I'd imagine you get a really good um, sound in there. I imagine it was not good for his hearing. Yeah, but back then they didn't give a shit anyway. Do you ever see any oh, drums yeah, wearing the course. fucking earmuffs? Any drummers wearing the earmuffs back then? No, no I don't either man. now. Yeah. Like, when I play drums. <laughs> I've hurt my hearing playing drums over the years. Yeah. And I'm not even that old. No, you're just going to be completely fucking deaf and blind by the time you're like 40. I think I'm going blind. You just don't know um, yet. Yeah. Yep. All right. For, do you want to talk about the first track? I don't. Let's really, talk about but... the first track. The first track <laughs> <clears throat> is called "I Want You," and uh, it kind of has a, uh, an interesting kind of intro. It's got these like soft, high pitched, kind of squeaky vocals from Paul Stanley. I think it's Paul Stanley. Yeah, it's almost like um, very uh, Rivers Cuomo-y. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I was thinking of like some some Beatles stuff when I heard it. There is, there's um, that too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you kind of have the guitar kick in. It turns into a very sort of formulaic Kiss song about a woman. Uh, but having the, vocal the guitar style is having the guitar kick in like that is really cool, though. I think <laughs> it is. It is a cool intro. I like, like the intro to the song a lot. Um, it's there's not really a lot to say about it, though. Um, it's about. Like he wants a girl, I want you. Like that's 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 what it's about. It's a pretty like standard kiss song. Like it's not even like bad enough. Like some of the early ones where we could like rag on it for the weird Paul Stanley. I'm very proud of Paul Stanley for getting out of his like weird phase, his weird simp phase. Yeah, a little bit. I think Um, there's a little bit of it in this. You know. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, there's a couple later. There's a later song I think that has has some of that too, but um, I, a lot of these lyrics just don't make sense. Like, you can walk in a haze, you can travel till you die, you can live in a dream, and your life will pass you by. I, don't, I mean, it makes sense. It's it just makes sense. weird. It's like but it's like weirdly out of place. About. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of yeah. good songs have this like. Um, like the chorus sometimes doesn't even feel related to the stuff they're saying in the verse. Yeah. Like they have to write a hook that is like catchy and about like the stuff that they write about and then they just do whatever in the verse. Yeah, I don't know. This track is kind of all over the place. I like the vocal delivery on it. Paul Stanley kind of stretches his, his vocal talent a little bit. Yeah. Um, there's a sort of weird binaural distortion guitar effect that happens towards the end where it goes from like the right ear to the left ear. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um I don't have anything else to say about it, really. There's not much else to say about this song. Or this album. Yeah, really. <laughs> Besides like one song that we'll get to later that I really yeah. enjoyed. There was two that I thought were alright on this album. Um, yeah, there was there was two that were all right, but there was one that I really I really liked. Yeah. So uh, track two, take me. Uh, this song starts with a joke about giving someone a hand job in their pocket. Yeah, put your hand in my pocket and grab onto my rocket. Yeah. Very, very good. Uh, the chorus is "You make me feel uh uh uh, uh yeah." 
This An was, attempt was made. An attempt was made, yeah. This was one of the first um, songs that was written by Sean Delaney, who was like, they're kind of, not a ghostwriter, but it was, he was one of their, he was like a guy that the label brought on to like help, or a friend of theirs or something. I don't, I'm not completely sure. But um, this was the first song. Uh, he had a couple songs on this album that he co-wrote with... Uh, with Paul Stanley. Is there um, like anything on this guy's background? Like, um, he, he was, he was friends with their manager. Oh, well, there you go. And, uh, and like friends with other people at, at the, at Casablanca records. Um, he was, he was one of the guys who persuaded their manager to see the band, according to him. Uh, so maybe without this guy, Bill Aucoin would never have managed Kiss, and they might have languished in being unknown. Who knows? But um, yeah, if this guy didn't, if this guy didn't exist, we might be doing a podcast on the obscure uh, cult indie rock band Kiss. Yeah. <laughs> or we might be doing it on a better band. Yeah, maybe. Maybe Kiss would yeah, have been would a be better like band a, if they had. This would be like been... a Thin Lizzy podcast. Yeah, I would. I mean, yeah. I would. Please, can it be after this <laughs> no. album? Can we Not talk allowed. about Jailbreak? That album's great. <laughs> uh, she said, "Whoa, baby, you make me feel ah 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 yeah." This Very is the same song. Lyric. This is like. <laughs> this is yeah. Not... So um. Track three, Calling Dr. Love. This is the same song. <laughs> I think Calling Dr. Love is the most interesting out of these three, though. It's a very Gene Simmons song. It is a very Gene Simmons song. Tool has covered this song, by the way. <laughs> Corey Taylor has also covered it. Yeah, Corey Taylor has covered a lot of these, actually. Yeah. Um, it's a Gene Simmons written song, which I think I like more. Like Gene Simmons' writing style hasn't changed like Paul Stanley has, but it it doesn't like need to, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, the most interesting thing about this song is those female backing vocals. Do you know who that is? Who is that? It's Katie Seagal. Um most known for being the wife and married with children married and, with children and holy Leela shit from futurama <laughs> yeah so, that's wild i didn't know that i don't know if she was just doing backing vocals like for studio work at the time or if she was a friend of gene simmons she was probably just doing like voice work at the time doing like radio commercials and stuff i'd imagine right yeah that's what most voice stuff. actors were doing back then yeah um that's what a lot of voice actors still do, like copy and yeah. Um, That's wild. Um, so this song is uh, is very Sneed pilled. What it is what about is... the seed and the feed. The seed. <laughs> it, yeah, it is. <laughs> I am the doctor of love. I got the cure you're thinking of. 
I mean, any lyric will sound bad if you read it like that, to be fair. The delivery he does for it is, like, fine. It's just stupid and juvenile. There was one time where I thought he said, I've got a doctorate in love, but looking at the lyrics, he doesn't actually say that, and that would be a much in- more funny <laughs> lyric. If he, just, like, one time, instead of saying, I'm Dr. Love, he says, I've got a doctorate in love. Gene Simmons, PhD. <laughs> Pretty huge Loveology. Name. <laughs> um the 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 female vocals are are pretty cool here. That's like the only thing to say. This is the most interesting out of these three songs that are just about like asking women to have sex. Which like well, it's, it's kind of a callback to like the older albums. Yeah. You know, they they had a lot of songs like this, that. This track is still like catchy. This track's kind of fun, but It's one of the more catchy tracks. Yeah. Uh, definitely more catchy than Ladies Room. Yes, Ladies Room. Uh, we're going through this album at record pace. Wow. Yeah. Um, I did not enjoy this album. I don't really. <laughs> I don't have a lot of notes for this one either. It's just, just it's so dull. Um, one thing to note for calling Doctor Love in Ladies Room is that the cowbell is back. The cowbell is back on this album a lot. Yeah. There's a couple other tracks too, I think, or one other. On the B side that has a cowbell. Excuse me. Um, so ladies' room is about asking a woman to have sex. Uh huh. But the twist is that they're doing, they're doing the sexy times, in the women's restroom. Right, and he's maybe paying her. Like it's a, it might be a prostitute. It's probably a prostitute. Yeah. Because in the chorus, he says, for my money, you can't be too soon, which is a very Gene Simmons line. Like, it doesn't rhyme with any of the other lines in the pre-chorus. Yeah. It lines with ladies' room, which is, meet meet you in the ladies' room, is what he says. Uh, That's what most of the chorus is. Um, Remember when Kid Rock... On all summer long, rhymed things with things. We were smoking funny things, and we were trying different things. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. We should we should do a podcast where we listen to every Kid Rock album. I would die. I would kill myself halfway <laughs> through that podcast. Like Kiss is more enjoy. Yeah, that would actually be hell because Kiss has been <laughs> like enjoyable to go through, even even at its worst. Well, no. This is its worst so far, and it has not been enjoyable. But I'm getting enjoyment out of just like talking about it because it's like really cathartically fucking but even, lame. Yeah, even like like the first album or um, Dress to Kill that were like pretty lame were like way more fun to make fun of than this, though. Yeah, that's true. This um, just is empty. There's no substance to it. Yeah, it's. Gene, it's cool to see Gene Simmons write some more songs, I guess. That's um, one way to put it. Interesting fact about this song, Gene Simmons is playing the rhythm guitar. I think this is the first time we've heard Gene Simmons on rhythm guitar. I think there were a few that it was speculated that he might have done that on in the previous albums. but it wasn't I know we've, we've seen ones where, we, where Ace was playing bass or... Yeah. But um, this is the first one, or one of the first ones in a while, at least, where Gene Simmons is playing. This is feels like a Gene Simmons song, very much. Yeah. So. 
Um, something that can't be said about Baby Driver, really. Not uh, so Baby Driver. Time. Baby Driver is from Stan Penridge and Peter Chris, uh, who wrote Beth. Sam Penridge was the co-writer on Beth, right. allegedly. We, we've talked about this stuff with Beth. We talked, but... yeah, how um, they all said that Peter Chris really didn't write Beth, and Stan Penridge yeah. did. <laughs> yeah, or I think the implication was more that, like, um, uh, Paul Stanley wrote it, but whatever. Is that, is that I don't know. <laughs> we talked about that last, that's last week. Go listen to last week's episode if you want yeah. to hear us talk about Beth. What a so I mean, Baby what a great song compared to the rest of this album. Yeah, Beth is. yeah, like, this is a much better song than the rest of this album. Um, Peter Chris is doing the vocals on it, which is always a good time. Yeah, I like Peter Chris on vocals. <laughs> yeah, uh, I like him on vocals a lot more than Gene Simmons. I'll tell you that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very catchy. It's very loud. This that's kind of the thing that stood out to me. Is this is much. This is much more noisy than yeah, most it, Kiss it's, songs. It's a little raucous and a little. Yeah. Um, it's heavier too. It's very. It's more in your face. There's a lot more going on at the same time. Yeah. Um, Which and we has... talked about this last week. You know, like 1970, like punk was starting. <laughs> like the Ramones. Yeah. And... I think Peter Chris kind of had his ear to the ground more than the rest of the band. Peter Chris, well, Gene Simmons degree. did too. Yeah. Because um, we've talked about that before, how Gene Simmons cited a lot of older stuff, at least back in the early parts, like with yeah. with Naked Lester or whatever. <laughs> Stripped Lenny. <laughs> Why do you always go to Lenny for the name? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that's the one you always go to. <laughs> I always go for a different adjective, and you always go for a different name. <laughs> It's Wicked Lester, isn't it? It's Wicked Lester. That's that's right. I've said Wacky Larry. Uh, <laughs> Angry Harvey. You could just keep going. Yeah. Um, lyrically, there's not a lot about Baby Driver. It's a song about driving. Um, yeah. If I mean, it's, of... it's, it's a song more about like road tripping or like living in a car, kind of. Yeah. I don't know what the heavy load is. It's it's kind of abstract, right? Yeah. Like a, a lot of bit. songs from the 70s about driving are. Yeah. Um, um I think I think it's I think that's uh a description of the driver's ass because the driver is a woman. Oh, okay. <laughs> yep. That makes sense. Yeah. Was this in the movie Baby Driver? I don't know. I uh, I haven't actually seen that movie. People keep telling me to watch it because it's really cool, and I it's keep seeing good. clips of it that look cool. Yeah, yeah, it's one of my favorites. I mean, it's Edgar Wright. Do you like Edgar Wright stuff? Yeah, for the most part. Um, Edgar Wright. I think James Gunn was. It has a very good soundtrack. Um, What's the car movie with uh, Mr. Blade Runner rom com man? Oh, uh, uh, that one's Brian just Driver. Dri- right? Drive. It's just Drive. drive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, uh, Baby Driver has the song Baby Driver by Simon and Garfunkel, which is oh, a completely different, different song. song. Yeah. But it also has Radar Love, which is a like song that this feels like a ripoff of. <laughs> From what I've seen of Baby Driver, they probably 
could have gotten away with using this baby driver in the in the movie. Well, the, the Simon and Garfunkel song is a much better song. Yeah. Uh, and that was kind of a very important song by the title. And this Simon and Gar, the Simon and Garfunkel song had already came out at this point, so it's really weird that they have a song called Baby Driver. I thought it was going to be a cover. Yeah, it's also funny that, like, I think it was the last album had that song about, like, driving responsibly on it. Did it? Yeah, that was uh, Detroit Rock City. Detroit Rock City. Yeah, well, it's not about driving response. It's more about, like, <laughs> I don't know. If It's not like a, a, a warning song about, like, yeah, it's just more about a car accident in general. Uh, yeah. There are some weird parallels. No, don't with, don't with, drink and drive. Yeah, don't 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 drink and drive. Don't listen to Kiss and Drive either, especially this album. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. There are some like parallels between like some songs, like "Love Them and Leave Them." The next one, unless you have anything else to say about Baby Driver. Um, actually, I was just going to pause shortly to okay. uh, top up my drink and stuff, and then we'll get to side B. Okay, that's side B. Love them and leave them. All right, I had a, and we're back. Back, isn't that fast? It's so fast when you cut part of the podcast out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, side B, love them and leave them. Uh, not the line from Big Pimpin'. Yeah. <laughs> this this song is the opposite of "Do You Love Me." Yeah. It, yeah, it really is. It 100% is. It literally, both songs start with a line about a limousine, but in Do You Love Me, it's like, do you like me just because I have a limousine? And in this song, it's like, I'm. Oh, you sure love my limousine. Like, it's flaunting it instead of, like, the opposite on, on yeah. Do You Love Me. It, I, I thought that was very interesting, that it's, like, the complete opposite. <laughs> yeah, it was also, like, a boner joke. Um, a stiff proposition. Yeah. Uh, there's yeah there's, there's so there's quite a few boner gags yeah those of you album. listening at home might notice that there is a trend with most of the songs on this album this is the horniest album this is the horniest kiss album um that we've had so far i think i think so too and that's saying something it really is it really is um um, the chorus on this is fucking annoying. Yeah, it is. Just like Do You Love Me. <laughs> yep. I think we're seeing a pattern. Um, yeah, they don't make good choruses. <laughs> no. And so, ladies and gentlemen at home, this song is about having sex with a woman. Yeah. Whoa. It's about, it's about like, preparing to, kind of. It's like yeah, it's about lead, like the lead like up to the lead to up the act. and like yeah, like making like taking her out to dinner or at a hotel, right? Yeah, he's got the reservations and you know he gives her a number and all like, but it's like very much about like having loving a girl and leaving a girl, love them and leave them. That's that's what Gene mm-hmm. Simmons does. This is a very Gene Simmons heavy album. Yeah. I get the feeling like Gene Simmons really didn't like the the route they took on Destroyer with a lot of stuff. So they just mm-hmm. gave him this album to just like do I don't know, dude got to do 
God of Rock and Roll. Which is a really good song. But he didn't write it. Yeah. That was a Paul Stanley. That was um, a Paul Stanley. Um, I don't have anything else to say about <laughs> Love Them and Leave Them. <sighs> Me neither. Between the hours of 10 and 2. <laughs> I get it. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, it's a... Yep. <laughs> That's another... I don't... I got nothing to say, man. <laughs> There's not um, an Ace Freely song. There is no album. Ace Freely song. There is not one. Disgusting. I hate it. <laughs> so the next song is Mr. Speed. Mr. You got you got Dr. Love and Mr. Speed. Mr. Speed. They're roommates. Um, Mr. Speed has like a connotation to it that I don't think they thought enough about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's kind of say. embarrassing. <laughs> So the, 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 this is another song about having sex with a woman. Um, but the chorus seems to imply that uh, Paul Stanley's a bit of a, a bit of a one pump chump. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really harsh way of putting it. I'm so fast. That's why the ladies call me Mr. Speed. I don't like. <laughs> what other way? Like, Paul Stanley had to look at this and see how that reflected on him, that that was like... <laughs> maybe, maybe from, like, his perspective, it's like, I'm a rock star, I'm having sex with multiple women, so I have to make it fast so I can move on from one to the next. I have a concert to be at. I have a show to yeah. play. Yeah, I gotta, gotta make it quick. I don't I gotta, know. <laughs> I gotta go play music with the boys, honey. I can't... <laughs> I gotta go hang out with my male friends in high heels and face paint. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have time to have sex with women right now. It's like, uh, you, do you ever listen to Flight of the Concords a lot? No. Like the comedy New Zealand band? No, I know they, they are, a, I just haven't really listened to they it. They have a song called Business Time that's like all about like getting down, but then it's all like weird and awkward. <laughs> it's like oh, that's a, really funny. Like leaving on your socks, and oh, this really reminds because he has a there's a line where like the song they have a little breakdown. He's like making love, making love for two, making love for two minutes, <laughs> and it's like this has that same kind of energy, but it's not intentional like it was when <laughs> Flight of the Concords did it. That's really funny. Um, yeah. Uh, anything else you really want to say about Mr. Speed? I think they, they rhyme please with knees a lot, and I'm tired of it. Yeah, they like should be writing general. seed with feet. <laughs> this should be Mr. Sneed. <laughs> the speed feed. Sneed. <laughs> 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 oh man so this song is in uh the movie speed with keanu reeves i bet yeah okay that makes sense which should also be called sneed <laughs> shout out to all the old heads like kiss fans who don't get this joke like like our our one the only kiss fans were watching cable when the simpsons made this joke okay yeah that's 
That's fair. <laughs> seed, seed, and feed is a joke from like one of the first seasons of The Simpsons. I'm pretty sure. I don't have it. Yeah, I don't have anything else to say about Mr. Sneed. Mr. Speed, formerly Chucks. Formerly, formerly Mr. Chucks. Uh. Uh, so this next track is "See You in Your Dreams," uh, which is about Gene Simmons' raw animal magnetism. <laughs> it's just so many like Gene it's Simmons. A, it's songs about a woman. It's a. It's about a woman dreaming about having sex with Gene Simmons. She's sitting in the corner of a party because Gene Simmons is not there. She's. <laughs> like, or <laughs> that's the the first verse is the party's over and the baby's in the corner. She's all alone for the night. You pick up so the like phone. So like these three tracks, home, dry your eyes. These three tracks, right. you know. Love him and leave him, Mr. Speed, and see see you in your dreams. Have all blended together in my mind. They're, if I didn't yeah. make notes, I would have nothing to say about any of these. Yeah, if I wasn't looking at genius, I would have... <laughs> <laughs> I would have absolutely nothing. I mean, what is... Over half of the song is chorus. Yeah, See you in your feel you in your dreams tonight. Yep. It's this is I think this is the most Gene Simmons song on this Gene Simmons album. It's a song about the absence of Gene Simmons and how miserable that is. <laughs> yeah. It's, Whatever I, would we do without Gene Simmons? I have nothing to say. Can we talk about Hard Luck Woman? <laughs> Please. <laughs> so this is one of the tracks off the album that was originally released as a single. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a Paul Stanley track. It's kind of Paul Stanley trying to write a Beth. Kind of, yeah. Um, um, it's very... He wrote it originally for Rod Stewart. Um, really? Wow. He wrote it... Yeah, he wrote it... He was originally going to give it to Rod Stewart and then decided to keep it for this album after Beth got so popular. That's interesting. Um, um, so this has kind of like a clean guitar intro, a bit like the first song on the album. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's very ballady. It's got that 12-string guitar Paul Stanley's playing. It sounds really good. <laughs> yeah, it does. Musically, this is probably my favorite track on the album. Uh, um, yeah, it's definitely. <laughs> this song punches above its weight as far as, like, lyrically for a Paul Stanley song. Yeah, it does. Um, it's It's got, like, the most... Like, the verse has... Like, it's it's not, like, a literal metaphor. Like, there's meta Not metaphor, but there's not, like... It's not like in your face as what the song is about, as Mr. Sneed is, or any of these other, you know, like calling. Is that Dr. what we're calling it now? Mr. Sneed. Mr. Sneed. Mr. Sneed and Dr. Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> um. This song is 
like most well known, I think, because of the Garth Brooks cover. Huh. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know country stuff, so that's out of my wheelhouse. Well, he didn't. He it's he did it with Kiss on. They did it for that cover album. Okay. Because he was a big Kiss fan, and then they, when they were like, um, promoting that cover album, he did it on Jay Leno, and they played together. Um, and that's oh, probably that's cool. like the best version of this song because it's, it's um them in the '80s on Jay Leno with Garth Brooks just like hamming it up. You know, going. It doesn't sound like a country song or like a Garth Brooks song. It sounds like Garth Brooks singing a Kiss song because he's a huge Kiss fan. Um. So th- that video is. You can find it in like 360p on YouTube only. Um, oh, I bet. <laughs> uh, do you have anything to say about this song besides it's good? Like, I expected to talk about this song more, but it's just like. It's just good. <laughs> like, there's not much to say. Because yeah, it's, it's just a nice, it's a nice song to listen to. Lyrically, it's interesting. Musically, it's interesting. Yeah, I think um, the twelve string guitar is uh, a really good choice. Yeah, it is. Um, Especially with like, they they have like no distortion or anything on it, so it just sounds really clean the whole time. Yeah, it's definitely got that ballad, that sort of like Rod Stewart or or even like Beth had. Um, yeah. Which doesn't have the symphony like Beth does, but Corey Taylor also covered this song. Of course, of course. Um, he did it. It's kind of in his live repertoire. Interesting. Um, Slipknot Live sounds like a really interesting show because it sounds like half the shit they play isn't even like their own music. Well, it's not. It's not Slipknot. It's Corey Taylor in in his solo. Oh, okay. Which is a little different, I think, but. Um, I would yeah. There was a couple other Slipknot covers of of some of the Kiss songs on the past albums, weren't there? Mm-hmm. Well, you can see like the through line of where Slipknot comes from thematically from Kiss, right? Because they have like the masks and the costumes, and yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, um, I saw. I was looking. I've been looking at tickets for different concerts um and i saw uh coming nearby is ace freely and um alice cooper i think that might actually be a pretty cool show because like ace alice cooper is super cool alice Mm -hmm. cooper is super cool and ace freely is the coolest member of kiss so i think you should cop that if you get the chance i might actually i might actually see if i can pull those and, and find those um I'm I'm coming out of this podcast as like a Ace Freely fan, I think. That's cool. I think it's just because like, in those in those first albums, those songs sucked, except for the ones that Ace wrote, and those are like the best songs on those albums. Yeah. Yeah, I think you might have a good time with the uh the solo album Ace Freely solo. Oh, I'm so excited for it. I'm so excited for these solo albums because they're going to be so weird and dumb and maybe <laughs> bad, maybe good. All right. So the wanna... last song on the album. Would you Got like it. to read off the title? It's Making Love. Guess what this song's about. This. this... <laughs> Um, they, they, they definitely let you know what they're doing in the chorus. Yeah. Uh, this song kind of has some weird, 
uh, again, like it's the seventies, but has a bit of a weird approach to consent here. Yeah, <laughs> you know, red light, green light. Don't say no. I really want her. She says, "Stop, baby, go, go, go." <laughs> oh boy. Um, a little concerning. A little concerning. Uh, the riff here is like the heaviest one on the album. It's very like it's fast. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of like Hotter Than Hell and some of the stuff they did on those earlier albums where it was a little more like thrashy even. Mm-hmm. The intro is <laughs> very peppy and it kind of stays high energy throughout. Yeah, and then the guitar solo closer. and the instrumental. The guitar solo and the instrumental break is like really cool. Mm-hmm. There's like there's like a lot of reverb and a lot of effects on some of the guitar. Yeah, there's like a weird distortion on like the snare drum too. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a lot going on in the song, in everything but the lyrics. Yeah. Well, there's a lot going on in the lyrics, but it's criminal. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bordering on allegations. Yeah. Like bit of a self report. Mm-hmm. Was this Gene Simmons? This was Gene Simmons, wasn't it? No, it was Paul Stanley. That's the Paul Stanley song. Um, um, Paul Stanley and Sean Delaney, the other um, guy that we were talking about earlier. Almost all of the Paul Stanley songs on this album are also co-written by him, which is weird. So what I'd like to what I'd like to mention now is uh, the thing you hate about Kiss songs so far is on every song in this album, which is that it fades out on repeating the chorus. Yeah. yeah. Every single track on this album does it. Mm-hmm. All ten. It's 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 the worst. <laughs> this stayed at number 11 on the Billboard charts for 47 weeks, this album did. From what I understand, this is one of their most critically acclaimed album launches ever. It's platinum. It's a platinum album. Yep. Uh, which they have a lot of those. They're Kiss, you know? Yeah. Though, from what I understand, their their critical reception for this album was better than Destroyer. Yeah. Um, I don't... Is that true? <laughs> what, what, from what, what I could find what, on the internet, yeah. What makes you... Like... Because if you look at, like, the charts, like, Destroyer did way better. Mm-hmm. But the critics didn't say, have as many good things to say about Destroyer. That's so weird. Destroyer yep. is a much superior album. Much better album. Oh, my Absolutely. God. Absolutely. I mean, it's got, like, sweet at the time, pain. At the time, pace were just different, I guess. Yeah. But there's so much, like... I tried to do, we were talking last week about Flaming Youth and how you could like put it over a Green Day instrumental. Yeah. I tried to do it with Longview and it, it like kind of worked, but there's just not enough lyrics there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I need to find something that like matches that tempo to put it over. <laughs> I think Flaming Youth could be like a Twisted Sister or maybe even The Clash. We talked about know. that last week. Yeah. Twisted yeah. Sister. Do you have anything else to say about making love all night? Because they sure said it a lot. They said over it a lot. Again. Um, don't buy this album. Don't listen to it. It's not worth your time. Uh, yeah, if you want an actual review of this album, it's shit. It's terrible. Yeah, it's, it's a horrible album. <laughs> uh, listen to Hard Luck Woman, but only listen to the uh, Garth Brooks version. 
that's and maybe that's, give baby maybe give baby driver a shot. Yeah, Peter Chris deserves it. And I mean, I kind of I I enjoyed ripping on Mr. Sneed and Loveman. I think the second half of this album was a lot better, but that's not saying much. Yeah, at all. The second half of this album is a lot better because Hard Luck Woman is like a slightly better song than Baby Driver. Wow, we haven't even hit the hour mark and we're done with the album. <laughs> what is the, like what is there to talk about? There's like nothing. seriously, it's almost There's nothing. it's it's garbage. <laughs> this is this is the worst album so far, I think. I think so too. This album was bad. The other albums were like tolerable even at their worst. But this was just like I wanted to sh- turn it off at the halfway mark. Yeah, I did too. I wanted to turn it <laughs> off at Doctor Love. <laughs> I think I, I made a note did. somewhere. Yeah, I did. I made a note on Doctor Love that says I want to turn this record off. <laughs> I think so I that's, have that's to, my endorsement. I think as someone who collects records, though, I will have to eventually like get a full Kiss discography of like studio albums and that means i will have to buy I'll, I'll make an exception for rock and roll over to just exclude that from my collection, as someone who but... also casually collects records i think i'd rather just go find an mf doom discography yeah there's better there's better things i could do i was just saying like by the end of this podcast i will probably have a couple kiss <laughs> records and enough you know like for mf doom i already have operation doomsday I have Mad Villain. There's a lot. Or Mad Villainy. I have the new Zarface album that came out earlier this year. One of the last projects he worked on. It was pretty good, yeah. I like Zarface stuff. Um, Yeah, is there anything else you want to say about this album? Flush it. Flush it. Flush it. There is an interesting fact about Hard Luck Woman, but I will save it for when we do a live, because it has to do with the live version. Hmm. Um, unless you just want me to say it so we have something interesting to talk about. Save it for a live, because I think we'll have a lot of interesting stuff to talk about for a live, so you might yeah. as well keep it. Um, come back for our a live episode. It should be soon. Yeah. Gort's going to be busy next week, so we're going to have a guest host. I'm not announcing who that is, but you'll find out when the episode comes out. Mm-hmm. Um. Um, I will I will be moving next week, so I probably won't yep. be. Um, I, I will not be on the the podcast next week. But Gort's going to get an education. I'm getting an education in uh yep. in Kiss. I'm, I'm majoring in. <laughs> You're majoring, I'm majoring in Kiss. I'm I'm majoring in rocking all night and minoring in partying every day. <laughs> <laughs> Are you gonna gonna get a fucking PhD in genealogy? <laughs> yeah, a doctorate in love. <laughs> <laughs> I I genuinely thought he said that at one point, and I think that was the most interesting part of the album, and it didn't even happen. I just made it up. Like my brain just <laughs> manifested more interesting lyrics. <laughs> It's like the people who are like being held hostage by terrorists that start like having like delusional hallucinations of being in better conditions than they are. Yeah, <laughs> wow, that's a very bleak way to put it. But... 
It's not Stockholm Syndrome. There's another name for it, but I don't yeah, remember what it's called. And Stockholm Syndrome is kind of bullshit that was, like, made up by, like... Like, a lot of things, like, uh... Is, you can you can you can safely throw a dart of, of a lot of things like Stockholm syndrome or whatever, and it's like made up by Nazi psychologists. Like, <laughs> there's a pretty good chance. I mean, yeah, it it doesn't help that like Carl Carl Jung was like the successor to the most preeminent, you know, psychoanalyst of all time, uh, who also happened to be a crackpot. Mm-hmm. Um, anything, anything else about this, this album that is worth saying before we just talk about other stuff for a little bit? I'm honestly kind of tired. I don't want this episode to go too long because there's not much to say, but I, this album art would be cool on a t-shirt. It would, I would, I would buy it. No, I wouldn't. I still wouldn't buy it on a t-shirt because I don't want people to think I like this album. (laughs) It looks cool. The album art would look great, but I don't want people to think I like this album. I don't blame you. I would get Destroyer's art on a t-shirt. Yeah. I think that would be cool. Um, I would get Hotter Than Hell on a t-shirt. Yeah. That one, that one would be cool. Or even, I think Dress to Kill would be a cool t-shirt too. Or even the self-titled, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Now that I'm looking at it, no, I wouldn't wear that. The self-titled is a maybe. It depends on if like they 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 screen print like all the black space or not. Yeah, that because if they bad. don't, and the fabric just leads right into like Gene Simmons's neck, then I think it would look cool. But if they screen print all the black space, then it's just gonna get all like faded and cr- uh, crinkled and shit. Yeah, that know? would look bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think if it was just their heads floating in a black yeah. t-shirt, that would be cool. Um. I don't know. Dress to Kill has that board. Like you would have to zoom in on that image. I think that is a pretty, probably the best album art so far. I, I wouldn't mind the border as like a t-shirt. I think it has like an interesting look to it. Um, I wonder. I'm I'm probably you. You joked with me earlier that I should get a a kiss t-shirt for the first day of uh first day of school. Here's one. I I just searched kiss t-shirt and the second one that came up was the self-titled. Um, there's a lot there's a, obviously a lot like Kiss Merchandise is a huge huge thing yeah um, what else would be like a nice shirt uh, creature, Creatures of the Night would be a good shirt Alive uh, Animalize I think would be an, an alright shirt there's there's a Dress to Kill one Um, I think you yeah. can get probably any of these albums on a t-shirt probably Here's a destroyer uh, one with like a tie dye background that looks kind of cool. It's like purple, like dark tie dye purple. Oh, that's neat. That, that goes really well. Um, um, Hot in the shade, I think, would be a cool T-shirt. Yeah, a lot of the I'm just looking at Google images, and a lot of these are just like the logo. But yeah, yeah Hot in the shade would be cool with the sunglasses. Yeah, Psycho Circus. You could get a Psycho Circus t I don't know if I would want to wear that. I feel like if you wore the Psycho Circus t-shirt, there'd be like a 50-50 chance of people mistaking it for a Guns N' Roses shirt. Or a Juggalo thing. <laughs> yeah, or a Juggalo thing. Here's here's one where it's just um, the members of KISS, but it says Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> we should make that the album art for this week. The Send me the picture and I'll make it the album art. Oh... Uh, that's that's really good. 
That's really funny. <laughs> By the way, I've been meaning to ask you if you like that the uh, the podcast uh, primary podcast thumbnail is the Funko Pop of Gene Simmons. Yeah, it's it. I don't I don't like scrolling <laughs> through my podcast feed and just seeing that. Uh, <laughs> but. <laughs> I think I would I would love to wear the 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 Kiss Led Zeppelin shirt though because I imagine it would like piss some boomer off that would see it like in <laughs> in public yeah and who wouldn't get that it's like a joke I think I think that's a perfect reason to get it actually. right yeah that's what I was saying <laughs> that's that's why I want to get it <laughs> um. That's like the with like the Evangelion and Seinfeld memes. Oh yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I w- I would get that on a shirt if it's just the Seinfeld logo, but it says Neon Genesis Evangelion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if I I think I prefer the one with like the Led Zeppelin logo and like the Kiss band members over the one that has like the Led Zeppelin art and the little the like, Led Zeppelin icons. angel dude and it says kiss yeah I think I think yeah. the top one yeah the top definitely. one is definitely funnier um that's like that's like on a you know on on YouTube you'll see like like a or like old even thinking about like LimeWire or whatever where it's just like ton of mis misattributed songs yeah i want to start a playlist that's just like songs that are commonly misattributed um like uh so evo's been going this weekend i don't know if you've heard about what's going on with that um are they doing it online yeah they're doing it online there's five main games uh one of the main excuse me one of the main games is Tekken Seven, which doesn't doesn't have rollback. And they're doing they're doing like different um, areas too, right? They're doing like an Asia, a North America. They're doing a like America. a Lat- They're doing a Latam one. They're doing a North America one. The Latam one is a fiasco because they have like Brazil playing against Chile. Yeah, that does sound like a fiasco. Yeah, Tekken Seven doesn't have rollback. That sounds awful. And Dragon yeah. Ball Fighter Z that doesn't have rollback either. Fighter Z is a side tournament, so it's not being streamed. Oh, okay. I, that's None of the side tournaments up. are being streamed because Animevo doesn't exist anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Isn't that great? It's wonderful. What are what are so what are the games? You... What are the total? What are all the games? Street Fighter Five, Mortal Kombat Eleven, Guilty Gear Strive, Tekken Seven, and Skullgirls PC. Okay. There's also a side event for Skullgirls PS4. All right. That's not. That's not too bad. It's not too bad. Besides Tekken, it's not right? the most interesting lineup I've ever seen. Yeah, I saw there was the Strive pools. They were playing that like last week. They were or streaming some of those, right? They did those early. That was a secondary tournament to qualify to get bumped up further in the pools for this this weekend. Okay. That, this <clears> so this Evo is still an open tournament and dumb. Yeah, that was like a qualifier, but this Evo is still an open tournament. Anyone could could enter. For this weekend specifically, for all the games, and they did pools yesterday. Didn't stream it. 
they they basically aren't talking about Evo. Like it's not being marketed at all. I didn't I don't even know, know if it was just... happening until you said yeah. it just now. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't know if it's because like Sony is running it now and they don't want to market it as much or if it's just because it's online and they don't want to talk about it. The side events not getting any coverage at all is just fucking miserable, right? Mm-hmm. Cause like I, I wanted to watch Maxi Boost. Can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I've been Why even run do you know what the prizing is for the side tournaments? No. What is it? The side tournaments are being run as PlayStation Online tournaments, which means the prizing is PS4 themes. That sounds stupid. And yeah. Oh my god, this is awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Animevo presumably has been killed because Sony is running the show now, and they don't want anyone using the brand, even in like a cheeky kind of way. This is so, uh, uh, this is the the rock and roll over of Evos. It is. It's miserable. I haven't watched any of it. I've only seen the clips and stuff on Twitter because I just have no interest in watching. I don't really have a lot of interest in spectating any of the games that are on. I would be interested if they were broadcasting the side tournaments, but they're not. So, like, I mean, I don't really have any interest in watching Strive until the balance patch happens because that game's fucked up. You know? Um... I don't really have any interest in watching Street Fighter V anymore because that game is just old as shit. It's kind of boring. Uh, it's also kind of boring, yeah. Uh, Tekken 7 online shit show. We already talked about that. Yeah. Um, Girls. I, I, I can't be asked to give a shit about Skullgirls anymore, can you? No. No, that I, game's older than Street Fighter Five. I never even I I picked up Skullgirls. I played it a little bit. I never really got into it that Skull much. Skullgirls is also like like I understand what's going on because I've played and watched enough of it to know how Skullgirls works, right? But for like a casual spectator, that game is like incomprehensible. Oh yeah, and it doesn't. It's not like Marvel where you at least still have the appeal of like Hulk punching Captain Commando or whatever, right? Yes. Um, it's just it's just like Mike Z's Mike Z and Alex Ahead's OCs fighting. So you know, for, for as a casual spectator game, I don't think it's very good in that regard, right? Um, yeah, I I haven't really watched a lot of professional um, Skullgirls. So you know what's really funny? Uh, Sonic Fox has entered in Skullgirls and uh, MK11. And uh, do you know where Sonic Fox is right now? Um, somewhere wacky. and Sonic Fox is at Megaplex, which is a furry convention in Orlando. And he's just doing his <laughs> matches from... They're, they're playing all the Evo matches Meg, yeah, from the hotel Meg. in Orlando. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, wow, that's uh they also dropped out of Tekken Seven pools. They entered for MK eleven Skullgirls and T seven and they dropped out of T seven before pools even started. Uh which is funny. I love it. I I feel like Sonic Fox has dropped out of more Tekken tournaments than they've actually played in. Good um, choice for them. Like that's <laughs> Um You know what I watched speaking of professional gaming recently oh i started i was watching some professional um international monopoly competitions oh that shit gets pretty heated from what i understand that's it's wild 
it's i mean it's it's not it's like poker where it's like a slow burn right yeah and like, monopoly like, is like built around um sort of getting control of the statistically most likely areas of the board to land mm-hmm. on rather than the ones that pay the best right uh and and the ones that are um give you the best return because like you think boardwalk yeah. and park place would being the more expensive ones would give you a better return but if you like there's people who have done like crazy amounts of simulations and dice roll stuff to figure out like what is the statistical best ones and which one like there's tier lists of properties there's monopoly tier list yeah um the brown properties are like s tier aren't they the brown properties are are like a tier the s tier are like orange and um like everything from jail to go to jail are are your best that, that whole strip yeah, yeah because that those are the statistically most likely to be landed on because go to jail jail happens a lot more than like a full loop what's the railroads tech is it is it beneficial to go in on the railroads yeah. railroads are beneficial depending on the amount of players in the game um because if you're I was I was actually I was actually watching a video talk about railroad strategies today and it it depends if you're playing a three player game railroads are very much not um important but they're still cheap and they're good to have they're good trading pieces but in a six player game where a lot more uh people are moving around there's a much higher chance that people land on on railroads more commonly um yeah. and so they're actually um a much more important properties in higher they are more uh stronger properties the more people there are in the game yeah Um, i guess that makes sense but you'd also need to railroad scale in importance based on how many of them you get at once right right we you have they they literally double every time you get another one yeah um so having that's wild having all four of them is really the ideal in in like a six player game um the 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 absolute like shit tier is the utilities <laughs> yeah no one like utilities well, hardly you ever get, get like basically on. no return from those right you get no it's uh if you have both of them it's 10 times whatever is rolled on the dice you roll the dice and then 10 times whatever that is oh so it's rng it. so you it's not reliable right it's not a reliable source of of return um they are they do kind of work as good bargaining chips, but um railroads just are insanely better for that sort of thing. And I almost wish I would be interested to see how that would change if they like replaced um the the utilities with like two extra railroads. So is there like um like a modified competitive rule set for Monopoly? Or is it just like out of the box, follow the instructions? It's pretty out of the box. I think the only thing that isn't like in the box is that they they do like allow property trading in certain ways that aren't necessarily defined in the original rules or in the standard rules, right? Because because they don't. A lot of that is just based on person to person agreements in Monopoly. Um, But 
Yeah, like, I think in the rules they say there's like a designated point in your turn where you can propose trades. You can, but it's yeah, not well, always in the rules. To... In the standard rules, you have to do all of that before you roll. Anytime you buy houses, trade properties, anything that isn't involved in moving or buying a space after you move, you have to do before you roll. Like yeah. rolling is the mark of your turn being over, essentially. Rolling is like the action phase. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So any anything that you want to do before that. And then there's also the auction rule, which most people don't use in Monopoly. Um, are you familiar with that? I'm not. So in in the rules of Monopoly, uh, if someone lands on a space, an unowned property space, and they don't buy it, it's auctioned to every player starting at one dollar. Oh, that and I assume that makes the game go much faster. It it does. It makes the game go much faster, and there's also it's way more competitive. So like. Competitive Monopoly is really staked on those auctions in the early game. Because yeah. your goal in the early game is always to buy as much property as possible. Yeah, I imagine like on your first pass of the board, if you don't have a lot of money and you land on like Boardwalk or something, it's like, well, I'll put up a dollar, right? Yeah, well, it, it starts at a dollar and then um, everyone can bid on it. Uh, yeah. So that, and that's, you're, you're supposed to do that anytime someone doesn't immediately buy a space that they land on. Yeah. Um, but that I've never played like that, which is I imagine it makes it go way. I I know it does from seeing the professional play at least. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll grab some people and give that a shot on like tabletop sim or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe. maybe. Um, I played a. I was I was watching this because I was I was hanging out with my grandparents last night and like before I went off to college and uh, we played Monopoly and it was the most like intense game of Monopoly that I've ever played. Um, and I actually went and started watching professional ones. And I like one of the matches that I saw was from like 2009 and it was a world cup. And it was like eerily similar to the match I played with my grandpa where like, <laughs> like the way we traded back and forth and all of that um, because late game, the, the big thing that I, I kind of learned this time around, cause I hadn't played Monopoly in a while. Like late game is um, like jail is where you want to be in Monopoly. Yeah, because you're you're not moving and you're not paying money. You're you're not moving and it reduces your chances. So I would get in I would get in jail and then I wouldn't even bother to roll to get out or anything. I would just let the other players take their turns until it was time for me to automatically get out. Yeah, yeah, because um, you can choose to not roll, right? Yeah, you can choose to not roll, and after three turns, you get out. Or you can pay... We said it was 75, but I always thought it was 50 to get out of jail. I don't remember. It's always different. There's all sorts of house rules with Monopoly, you know? Yeah. Um, and professionals, you know, they don't play with the free parking rule either, because that just slows the game down. Um, uh, that's the one where, like, all the fucking... Um, you put the cash in the middle you and you like land a, on a bounty yeah. and free parking. Yeah, yeah, and if you you know if you pay some if you have to pay something for like one of the chance cards or a um you know a, a fee or something that isn't buying something, then that goes in the middle. And then when you land on free parking, you get it. But professionals don't play that. That's never been in the rules. I think it's actually been included as an optional rule in certain monopoly things, but it actually does because all it does is just inject cash back into the game. Yeah. Right. And so yeah, it actually, so the so the game isn't running down, it just keeps grinding out. Right. So it that, that rule actually slows down the game a lot more than people yeah. think. But it's one of the most common like house rules. Yeah. 
I don't think I've ever played so, a game of Monopoly that was like full on, like full rule set followed, you know? Yeah. At the time of recording, uh, Donda is still not owned. Yeah. <laughs> we were going to um, do an episode on it two weeks ago. Yeah. So there was another listening party a couple days ago. Uh, I think it was a couple days ago now. It might have been I yesterday. Did, I, don't I didn't really check any of that out. I don't have a whole lot of hype for this album like other people do. Um, so I watched the listening party and this time around, I didn't see the first listening party, but people are saying that the version of the album they played at this listening party is considerably better than last time. Um, well, that's good. The listening party ended with Kanye being raptured into the sky. I don't know if I sent you the picture of that or the video. Okay. Let me get you, let me get you the picture. Um, He has a, uh, he has a thing for theatrics, doesn't he? He does, yes. <laughs> you could say that. Uh, so here's here's the end of the listening party. Oh, he gets where he's just floating out out through the ceiling of the stadium. He, yeah, he um, just gets sucked into a big old space butthole. There's uh there's one track called uh I Lost My Family where he was like curled up on the floor like prostrating himself like Job. Um <laughs> what a Wow, I'm. What does Donda mean? Like, is there a reason? Donda is the name of Kanye's mom. Oh, okay. Who passed away like uh, fourteen years ago, two thousand seven. Well, yeah, good for him. I'll it's give been it a, a listen. It's been a hang up for him for a long time. I didn't like time. Jesus is King, but. I thought it was, as far as, like, gospel albums go and Christian albums go, it's the best one I've heard in a long time. Now, you should listen to Snoop Dogg's gospel album. <laughs> he, did, he did a, Snoop, Snoop Dogg did a, he, he was Snoop Lion, and then I think he did, yeah. like, I think he did a, he did a gospel album, he did, like, a couple, like, R&B albums. I'm ready for his country album. No, he's already yeah, done Snoop's that. like he, a really... He's done songs with Willie Nelson. Yeah, he's done uh, the tracks with Willie. I was yeah, just about so, to say. Like, just, um, just give, just give me the, a, uh, a full Snoop and Willie album. Here, here's the Donda feature list from the last uh, listening party. Donda as in his mom? Yeah, there's clips of his mom on the album. I mean, I'm... Alright, Pusha T, obvi- like, that's kind of always... Not always, but he works with Kanye a lot. Kanye produces yeah. for him a lot. Kid Lil Cuddy. Yachty's done some stuff with Kanye. Kid Cudi. Cardi. It's cool to see Cardi on there. I like... Did you listen to a whole lot of Red? No, I didn't. Um, it's not great, but I love it. I haven't I haven't dived into Cardi's discography yet. That's uh, that's what I'll say about a whole lot of Red. It's it's really bad, and I love it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> J Electronica... That's cool. Jay Z is on this, which is I think the first time they've done anything together since, since like Watch the Fantasy oh, or yeah. Watch the Throne, maybe. Uh... Um, the choir, the Sunday Service Choir. Yeah, the weekend is on this, weekend. which is uh, he mentioned wanting to do stuff with Kanye. So Travis Scott, I like Travis Scott. Yeah, it's wild that Travis Scott is like even working with Kanye. Is it? Do they but have I, beef? But I guess if I guess you don't. It's not a beef thing, but it's like uh, what their music is about kind of deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, hey, can we take a break for a second and come back? Yeah, sure. All right. I got a few more things I want to talk about, and then we're probably going to end this one early because I don't have a whole lot. But Well, we're not really that early. We've made an hour now, but yeah, I'll okay. pause it. And we're back. We're back. Um, so I kind of want to talk about, last week we talked about a little bit. I was playing uh, Resident Evil 7. I had just started it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I finished it the other day. So that game is cool. Um, it's yeah, it's really interesting to see how they translate like the Resident Evil style to first person. Um, or, yeah, it is. It's it's not. I think from what I've seen of Village, like that does it a little better. Even if it's yeah, more Village action-y. from what I understand from like a gameplay perspective is much better. Um, but that is Resident Evil Seven is probably the nastiest game I have ever seen. Like visually, like everything, every single texture and every single model, there is like nothing in that game that looks clean. Yeah, there's the little bit at the beginning where you're like driving in your car and your car looks like old and like crusty, but it look it's the cleanest thing in the game. Isn't there like a joke made in that game about how the sort of Resident Evil level layout doesn't make any sense? There's a there's a part where um, there's a part where um, Ethan, the main character, like he unlocks a big door by putting like an animal statue head in there, and he just goes, "Who makes this shit?" Like <laughs> he just has a line like that, um, and you actually <laughs> find out later. Uh, there's a there's a note where it's like you see the 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 work order for the construction company to put in secret doors. Uh, yeah. Which is really funny. Like, cause resident evil two did that, but they did it as like, Oh, it used to be a museum. And it's like, no, they just hired somebody to build secret trap doors. Yeah. It's, I mean, sure. Sure. I mean, <laughs> there's also a giant, well, that's spoilers. I won't say that, but <laughs> I'll keep that to myself. But, um, that game, that game is like, it was longer than I thought, but it's also a lot shorter than I thought. Cause like, there's, there's a part where you're like, oh, this is the end of the game, and then it's like way longer. The end of the game is not where you think it's gonna be. Um, yeah. But even then, it's still like all the Resident Evil games are pretty short. They're not like super long games. They're meant to be replayed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean. <clears throat> To varying degrees of success with replayability, depending on it. Right, I, right. I haven't heard many people clamoring to replay 7. Um, no, um, it's... There's a lot of, like, places where... Like, there's a part in, in, like, the climax of the game where you have to, like... You go to the the part where you start the game. They kind of bookend it like that. And um, you kind of you kind of redo... Re, re, trace your steps uh, that you did in the first part of the game and i didn't do it like right and so i got to the part where i knew i had to be at the end of that section and nothing was happening i thought i soft locked myself but i just had to like go open the fridge and trigger something or something like that you know so there's there's a lot of moments like that in that game where it's like you just have to do something like vaguely specific to trigger something happening yeah that's um 
that's part of why I kind of bounced off it when I tried playing it when it came out and I didn't really like it. Um, it's really bad in the beginning of the game too because yeah. they're they're kind of like doing these big set piece moments. Um, and like once the game really lets you um, explore things a lot more, it like the middle part of the game is really good about timing those those trigger moments in in yeah. really good places uh, that I'm feel just, natural. I'm, I'm not. I'm not super fond of like that style of like the amnesia sort of style of the first person atmospheric horror game. There's not a lot of that in like the intro is like that uh, because you don't really have any weapons or anything, but yeah, there's not uh, a lot. If you can get past that, it just turns into a resident evil game. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine Um, it gets better in the back half. It, I should it probably gets, give it another it gets go. better in the back three quarters. It's like the first quarter of the game is like that, I would say. Yeah. And then um, by the time you get to like the second area, it just turns into a Resident Evil game. There's literally like the hallway with two steps that are in like the Spencer Mansion and the RF, uh, the Raccoon City Police Department. Like that is a very like Resident Evil area to me where you have like the big <laughs> main room and the two staircases that meet in the middle. Yeah. Um, they They have that there. Um, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, but also it's, it was really interesting to compare to another seven game that I've been playing. I've been playing killer seven for the first time. The seventh of the killer series. Yes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and it's, I mean, it's like kind of similar to resident evil seven in that they're both like weird slow first person shooters yeah killer seven is almost more like a mist game uh in terms of how you kind of navigate the environments and kind of yeah that's a very good comparison i yeah i uh i recently described it as a as like in punk rock version of resident evil in the way that punk rock was like dissolving rock down to like its its lowest and most simplest form yeah it's like what if resident evil just put you on like a railroad track yeah it's it's yeah. it's it's a survival horror in the most like because you kind of do some resident evilly puzzles right of like find it's, this thing I, and I, I i would go as far as to say it's not the survival part of survival horror because it doesn't have the resource management at no, least not there's the no same resource man right but it, it has yeah. that same sort of um like clunky control that it that that contributes to a vibe um yeah there's it's fast it's a it's a crazy game i'm i'm loving it um i'm having to take it, a super cool game i need I'm to play to that take game it kind of slow um i'm just kind of taking it like one little bit at a time because like mm-hmm. if i play it for too long it kind of just like that game's a little tedious that game's like intro mission sequence is like one of the best i've seen in a video game yeah, it's it, especially that intro cutscene. Every it just kind of throws you into it, but it like, yeah, really it gets well. across. It gets across basically everything that game is about from a gameplay and like story and atmosphere and presentation standpoint. It gets it just, all of it across all at once, and you you get it. You know what Killer Seven is about by the end of that first mission. Yeah, you do. It there is there are some things that like mechanically it doesn't explain at all. Yeah, um, it's really bad about that. Yeah, it um, kind of throws you to the wolves to figure out that the character switching does different things in the environment. Right. It took me a while to figure that out. Um, yeah. And it took me a while to figure out how to upgrade the characters, too. Yeah. 
Um, but once I did, like, it feels weird. It feels like there doesn't really feel like a need to upgrade them past a certain point. No, because, I mean, if you're good, especially if you're playing with a mouse, like, you don't oh, yeah. really need to bother. Because um, um, a lot of those yeah. upgrades, like, just upgrade the, the lock-on or, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but aesthetically, it's it's a, it's fascinating, I think, in terms of just, like, what is happening there's like weird it's it's got this like multimedia kind of look there's like you know um weird like pastiche like um sort of uh, collage moments like the menus look really weird and then sometimes there's just like 2d animated segments yeah um if you get around to playing the silver case it's very similar it's it's sort of like a really out there mixed media kind of thing it's not just the one thing it's like a lot of things i kind of plan on playing the silver case after this um i might either that or i'm gonna go into shin megami tensei strange journey yeah Um, you can get uh both silver case games as like a collection on switch now so you mm -hmm. should you should probably go that route that's probably what i'll do um but i do want to I do want to play an RPG. I was considering picking up the, some of the pixel remasters for Final Fantasy because they've had some big changes to some of the games. Yeah, those I, ones. I, I've had a hankering to, to check those out um, as they come out. Uh, I'm not paying $100 for FFs 1 through 6 when I'm probably only going to play two or three of those games. But mm-hmm. um, And I don't I'm think they're going to... They're not going to change like 4, 5, and 6 that much. There's not... What is there to change... In those games that hasn't uh, already been I mean, been it's done. using. I, I believe they're using the existing like mobile ports as a base and just improving them drastically. So it's not going to look like Super Nintendo FF4, you know? Right, but I mean, like mechanically, what is there that they can really change about? Yeah, FF4 those games already that... basically work, right? Yeah, especially they can six. maybe. Um, they can maybe make the job grind a little bit quicker in five. Yeah, and some of the Esper you stuff in, in 6, which is basically yeah. the same kind of thing, the job grind. Um, but, like, mechan- like comparing 4, 5, and 6 to 2, right? There's there's a lot yeah, less... Yeah, like, 2 is one where you can make a lot of change. quality of life, yeah. Um, which they um, did. They did a lot of improvements on 2 uh, for the Pixel remake. Yeah, this... Uh... The only thing that I kind of don't like is that 4, 5, and 6, to me, um, to a lesser degree, the NES games, but the Super Nintendo slash Super Famicom ones in particular have a very iconic sprite work style mm-hmm. to those original releases. Yeah. And I think that they lose something by just not having those original sprites. Yeah, they do, definitely. Have you seen some of the, like, have you seen, like, the intro to 6 and how they've reworked some of the backgrounds? Yeah, there's like parallax scrolling and stuff now. Like yeah, that's that stuff nicer. looks really good. How they've upgraded yeah. those, um, because it feels like they've like there's details that I never caught in the original that I've I've caught now that they've updated. I'm like, oh, they added some stuff, and I'm like, no, they didn't add it. I just never caught it in the original because they blended in. Yeah, like that scene where they're in the Magitek armor and they're on the cliff. I never you, noticed. You can't see like some of the background detail. Yeah, yeah I've, in the original, I never noticed that there were like houses and little villages off in the distance until yeah. I saw the the remade one. I wonder yeah. if they're gonna. I wonder if they're gonna do a full opera. The other thing I don't like about the uh, the new sprites um, is that they all have like big meaty Higurashi hands. Yeah. <laughs> 
They you sure know? do. <laughs> you got that Ryukishi look going on a little bit. Which, that's kind of how Nomura drew them. Like, if you look at the Nomura art yeah. of, of, like, the chibi versions that were turned into the sprite ones, they had, like, those big, like, Animal Crossing, like, hands. Yeah. Yeah, they um, look weird. Um, but I wonder if they're going to, like, do a full opera thing for Final Fantasy VI, or if they're just going to keep it with, like, the... I hope so. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, what I would what I would prefer, honestly, to that look is if they kind of gave everyone the sort of more exaggerated proportions that, like, Seven does. Yeah. Like, make it more anime. Which I've... I want... I always wanted to see, like, Final Fantasy VI remade in, like, the style I mean, of eight. I mean more like, um... You know, you know how in, like, Seven Cloud has, like, the Popeye arms? Oh, he's got the big toaster hands yeah he's got the big toaster hands yeah yeah that sort of deal like just a little more um sort of exaggeration to the to the proportions to make them look a little more appealing than they do yeah which i mean or even eight like the way they they just are there's no facial details in eight yeah i would but i would love to see like like four remade in the style of like a ps1 rpg like what if you made final fantasy four for the ps1 but that would yeah, take a lot that of work. would be <laughs> that would take some work for sure. Yeah, um, like like with the pre-rendered backgrounds and stuff like that, I think would be really cool to see those earlier games done that way. Yeah. What have you been playing? What have I been playing? I've been playing a few things. Uh, I played, I think I talked about it on the last podcast too, but I played, since the last podcast, I've played more of the Halo Infinite Flight that was last weekend. Yeah. Um, Is it better? I like that game a lot. A lot. It's probably my favorite Halo game since Halo 3. Wow. In terms of how it plays. Yeah. I'm excited for it. To be honest, if you're giving it that much hype, Sign up for the Insider Program. Worst thing that can happen is you don't get in, right? Um, Is it just multiplayer, though? Because I've never, like... Except when we would play together. The last flight was just multiplayer uh, against bots. Except for a couple hours towards the end, they enabled PvP and let people shoot at each other. uh, Which immediately uh, destroyed any delusions of grandeur I might have about my skill at Halo. Yeah. Um... (laughs) I mean, I'm better. I'm better than the average bear at Halo. Like, better I'm pretty than good me. at the game. Yeah, but you're not like Pyre. <laughs> I'm not like. Well, yeah, Pyre played it fucking competitively for God knows how long, and yeah, um, we're we're t- viewers, we're listeners, not viewers. You're not seeing us, listeners. Uh, we're talking about a a mutual friend who played competitive Halo back in the 360 days and went to MLG events and shit. Um. It, yeah, I, I, I like Halo Infinite a lot. We, we would play, uh, we would play Fat Kid with him, <laughs> and he, yeah. I always hated. He just kept sniping me. Yeah. Uh, oh, we need to get back Kid's, to doing that. Fat Kid's fun. I love Fat Kid. Yeah, you're like uh, me, and you are the only guys who like who like playing Fat Kid. Yeah. Well, now you can play Fat Kid on the on the customs browser in in Master Chief Collection because yes. they they introduced it. Can, you can find people to play Fat Kid with any time of day. Um, I've also been playing The Ascent. Oh yeah, that's the um, that's on Game Pass, isn't it? 
Yeah, I've been playing it on Steam though, because apparently the Game Pass version is kind of broken. Oof. I was um, looking at it on patch. Game Pass. The problem is, and I've been playing it on Steam in the DX12 mode, which is the same version that Game Pass uses, except the Steam version also supports ray tracing. And uh, DX12 mode in that game is broken. It's fucked up. And you need to have it turned on to use the ray tracing in the Steam version, but um, so it just is... has like a bunch of a bunch of issues, a bunch of stuttering issues. What is what is the ascent like? I've I've heard a little bit about it. Is it a twin stick shooter? It's a combination twin stick shooter and like Diablo light. Okay, like dungeon crawling twin stick shooter. Kinda, yeah. Um, the gearing and leveling in it is very impactful. Would you... uh, it feels it feels really good to like equip a new gun or a new piece of armor. You feel like an immediate power increase from that. Would you compare it to like like Diablo like like I know we were talking off mic earlier or online a couple weeks ago about like you said you really wanted like a Diablo Hades. Does it feel like that? No, it it's not like that kind of itch. No, but not like really. but you meant like the combat of Hades in a Diablo like dungeon crawler. Does it feel like it, that? It, it kind of, of it has a similar kind of impact. You have like the dodge roll, but it's like gun based. So the the okay. fundamental feel is different from like a melee combat game. Oh, right? there's a couple project you have the gun and the bow and arrow in Hades. Yeah, you do. But even those are like weird. They don't function like a twin stick gun. No, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. The bow the, the closest thing to a gun is like the bow and arrow's alt fire, which is like a shotgun. <laughs> right, yeah, it's got the little homing yeah. attack. Man, now I want to go play Hades. Um, but yeah, the ascent, the guns feel really good as far as like twin stick shooters go. The gun feel is fantastic. Um, gearing and leveling feels extremely impactful. You immediately notice that you're much stronger every time you level up or put on a new piece of gear. That's good. Um, I like that because that's what I hated about Diablo was you would just have yeah. like little tiny percent increases and you wouldn't. Visually, it's like gorgeous. It's a very, very beautiful game. The art direction is great. Uh, it, it really sells you on like the kind of cyberpunk world that it takes place in. What would you? My only problem with it is that the entire game is like basically one big open map, and navigating that big open map is like really awkward and confusing most of the time. Oh yeah, that does sound bad. And the they have a fast travel system, but it's it's not the placement of the like the fast travel nodes is not very good. That's weird. Yeah. Um I've I've been I've been eyeing that game on Game Pass, but I guess I'll wait for the patch. Yeah, wait wait until it gets patched. Uh it did actually get patched yesterday on Steam. Uh let's see what this says. Fixes to improve performance in DX twelve. Oh, maybe it works better now. Maybe Ray so. tracing is now available to players on the Windows store. So maybe they did patch it. Maybe it's better now. I played okay. it like a, a week ago, so I might check it out then. Um, I've yeah. been playing, uh, speaking of another game that starts with an A, I've actually been playing some rounds of uh, Artifact. Yeah, the game's fun, right? Yeah. It's a little too, like, the three-lane sort of thing is a little, like, I feel like it's my brain is... It's a lot to take in all at a, once, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I feel like my brain is a little too small for it, but... but I've being been... good at that game takes, like, a very different mindset. Yeah, uh, I've been wanting to get into a card game since I've been reading Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, but I I don't think I've felt any more, like, the, I felt more like uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! playing Monopoly, I think, than I did playing <laughs> Artifact. <laughs> 
Artifact is a very strange game, yeah. Um, I kind of wish it didn't bomb the way it did, because I do love that game a lot. I think it's very well designed. I, um, I do find it weird, though, that, like, it's... And maybe I just haven't played enough rounds, but it seems like every round or every game that I play turns into, oh, I can just let them, like, rail on that tower while I focus on these other two, you know? Yeah, but that's, like, the point. Like, you can make that sacrifice if you're confident in it. If you're not confident in it, then they can bash on your Ancient behind the tower. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how often, when you would play, like, how often would you play, like, how often would you win by destroying an Ancient? <laughs> about, maybe about 30 to 40% of the time. Okay. I, I probably I played, just I played... I played a like a red aggro deck where like I had the option to do that if I felt like I wasn't going to be able to take two lanes I could just centralize right. and just push out a whole yeah, bunch of that, damage. Yeah, that's what I was kind of I was looking at some of those pre-built decks that they had um and that the Yeah, the red, no, I played I played a custom deck, so Yeah, I haven't I, gone, I was playing meta. I haven't gone full into all of that yet. I've haven't I've only really played bot matches. Um Yeah. But I've, I'm just kind of dipping my toes in. So I, here's the thing. Here's the thing that's really neat about Artifact. While you're playing it, if you decide to go into matchmaking and play against other players, and you get bopped by a deck and you think the deck is really cool, uh, you can just copy their deck. Okay. At the end of the game. That's yeah. cool. That is really cool. Yep. It um, used to be because then the idea was that you could net deck somebody's cool deck, and then you would go to the Steam Marketplace, and they had a button, and you could just buy all the cards you didn't have. Right. Uh, but now they've made all is, the cards free. They've made all the cards free because no one's playing the game, so um, you can just click the button and net deck immediately. Right. But even then, a lot of people talked a lot of shit about Artifact's business model, you know, because it was pay to get into, but they give you like a decent amount of starting stuff, and then you had to pay for packs or singles after that. Uh, which is every trading card game ever made as a paper game works like that. Magic yeah. the Gathering Online also works like that. Um, obviously, that's not the model that's successful for a digital card game, which is unfortunate. Uh, because Artifact, being able to buy singles, I think, is much better than having to grind or buy a whole bunch of packs in something like uh, Magic Arena. Right, yeah, yeah. And it's cheaper in the long run than playing something like Hearthstone, too, like, really. Because Dust in Hearthstone is, like, a hugely diminishing return. And you need to get either grind or buy, like, a shitload of packs if you want to play meta in that game. I think at the end of the day, it comes out to your money and your time is just not worth buying singles and Artifact when that game was popular, when it, mm -hmm. like, had first come out. The most expensive card in Artifact when it came out was Axe. And he was a $30 card, and you needed one. You need one X because you can only run one of a hero on a on a deck. Right. Um you know, so I'm kinda coming into this. I played like a little bit of, of the Pokemon card game as a kid and I've played a couple rounds of Magic, but I've never really fully gotten into card games like this. But I really, really love games like Slay the Spire. Yeah. Um, and, and those sort of deck building games. And so I I guess my question to you as someone who plays a lot more of the, of these kind of competitive card games. Do you see like a possibility for a slay the spire sort of deck draw? Like at the end of the at the end, like each player starts with like ten cards, and at the end of the turn, you get a random card from a type. Like, do you think that would not work competitively? That would be, 
You could make that work as probably a digital card game. As a tabletop card game, that is a lot of cleanup space. Obviously, right? yeah. I, obviously, you know? like digital would be the only way you could do something yeah. like that with the You could draw. maybe do it as like a dedicated, like comes in a box deck building game, like Lord of the Rings or whatever. Right. right? But um, I guess what I'm saying that... is, would that be competitively balanceable? Probably, yeah. I'd imagine so if if you designed around it, right? But mm-hmm. like, because um... the way that games like Slay the Spire gets around it is that it's ostensibly like a single player, like yeah. JRPG type turn based, or even yeah. You know... I think you could you could just add some kind of manageable resource to it, and it would probably be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, it would be hard to do as a for like a magic style, like play you know, best of three matches uh, in, like, a Swiss rounds tournament, I don't think it would work very well, but if it was, like, something like Lord of the Rings deck building game, where it's like, here's a box full of cards, let's spend an entire afternoon playing this one card game, I think you could make that work. Yeah. Um, Because I I really I really like the way those games, like, especially Slay the Spire, like, make my brain work. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and the deck building uh, and, think... and the synergy. And I wish I could get into other card games, but they don't like scratch that itch the same way these roguelike I, games I do. think you would enjoy... Um, I don't like to recommend Magic the Gathering because it's just kind of been steadily going downhill for like six years, but That's, yeah. uh, drafting in, in Magic, the draft uh, format, uh, is probably exactly what you're looking for. The, okay. way, the way drafting works is you sit at a table... There's like seven other people at the table, right? Mm -hmm. Each of you has three booster packs. You open one pack, pick a card out of it, and pass it to the left. Okay. Once once all the packs have run out, you also, I think, I think they tell you to take the basic land out of the pack now. Uh, It used to be you would leave it in, and then people would just pack bullet at the end, but I I think they just tell you to take it out now. Um, So you, you pick the one card and pass the pack to the left, and someone passes their pack to you and you pick a card out of that and so on and so forth and it rotates around the table uh so at the end of it you would have like 15 cards a pack minus the basic land 14 times three is like you'll have like 42 cards and of that you're gonna pick like a portion of them because you need to put some basic lands in so you're gonna pick maybe like you're gonna pick like 18 Mm-hmm. Because you're going to need about 12 basic lands. So you're going to pick like 18 out of those and build a deck out of them. And then you play... Uh, you play a bunch of rounds of magic using that deck you just built. And you can use all of the cards you drafted as a sideboard. So between rounds you can swap cards in and out. Okay. That that sounds yeah. like... That sounds pretty cool. It's just a shame that like magic isn't... <laughs> yeah. Cool. It's or the like... best... It's... It's always been the best way to play Magic, really. Um, aren't they like? Isn't isn't Magic the one that has like Walking Dead cards now? Yeah, Magic has a bunch of stupid bullshit in it. It's getting like Warhammer 40k themed stuff soon. And... Like it was cool when they did like they did the um, like the 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 D and D settings, right? Because yeah, that's already... new. That's um, that's they... like the this year's core set. Because they had already done that in the the reverse, right? They had already yeah created a D and D setting for magic, 
Um, yeah, and those were like barely supported. It's like thirty-page PDFs, but like oh, they did they? do them. Yeah, yeah there's so, not much to them. Like that—that's not as bad as seeing like Negan from The Walking Dead as a magic card. Rick from The Walking Dead. Yeah, became one of the most powerful cards in the legacy format. Oh, that's so. And that was a limited release, like four card set. I see, like I see you talking about card stuff all the time, and it looks cool. It just feels like it's so hard. It feels like it would be so hard to get into. It is. It, um, I'm not going to lie. It is right. It's it's, yeah. it's a cost. And you have to play enough to develop an understanding of how it works. And the meta changes over time, so you have to figure out all the new stuff as it comes in and out. It's it's a lot. It's that's a lot why to keep I like, on top of. That's why like playing a couple bot rounds of artifact is like good enough for me. Yeah. You know? Or like sometimes even I'll I mean, I'd be down to play rounds with you or like play around. I mean you'd probably kick my ass, but Yeah. Uh <laughs> but I don't. Is is Yu-Gi-Oh still like a viable? Yu-Gi-Oh right now is in one of the best spots it's been in a very long time. Uh, there's a lot of uh, viable deck variety right now, um, and the game is mostly fun. I have a few gripes on like a high level design mm-hmm. uh, perspective of issues that I have with Yu-Gi-Oh that have been issues for a long time, but uh, fundamentally it's. Probably the best the game has been since like 2014. Okay, yeah. So it's it, it's. Would it be worth getting into? Because I know there's like the the games currently the it's, video games you can buy. Are those kind of like Hearthstone or like the Magic Arena? Uh, it depends. Uh, okay. the current one, Legacy of the Duelist, is like sort of a limited um kind of thing where it's like here's like some pre-built decks and here's a few select cards from boosters and stuff and you can build a deck out of them but it's not it doesn't give you the perspective of the actual Yu-Gi-Oh excuse me the actual like evolving Yu-Gi-Oh meta right right yeah yeah it's like its own little format uh there's one coming out that is apparently going to support like all the rules formats and it's going to keep getting to the cards as time goes on it's not out yet it was announced a couple weeks ago uh, that might be promising. It depends on what the business model for it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because most of the Yu-Gi-Oh! community has been playing online using third-party simulators that, like, handle all the rules and everything, right? Is that... Are those worth, like, getting into? I mean, they're free. So yeah, it's, okay. like, really just a cost of your time, right? Okay. If I... Um... um... They haven't cracked down on them because they understand that a lot of good players use them to test and yeah, fine tune and stuff. So like the know. only one I ever played was like as a as a little kid I played Pokemon for a bit. Um yeah. I went to a comic store and played it. And then I've like I said, I've played a couple games of magic with like pre built decks that my friends who played had. Um, I-, I played Pokemon for a while and that game uh, is fun. It's like total clown shoes, though. Like this, there isn't even an attempt at balance. It's just pick a good deck because you won't have a good time if you don't. I've noticed. Um, yeah, I noticed that when yeah. I was a kid. Even um, is so. And then you've been. I know you've been bugging me to get into Vanguard. Yes, Vanguard is... right now has a couple starter decks, two primary boosters, and a set that is mostly foil reprints. If you want to foil out your deck a little more. 
Um, what does that mean, foil? They're like pretty hollow foil cards. Oh, they okay. Shine, yeah, yeah, they yeah. sparkle. I got you. Yeah, you know? that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it is probably the best time to get into Vanguard right now because Booster 1 is out. The starter decks are out. The starter decks are mostly viable out of the box. You can improve them with stuff from the boosters, obviously. But, mm-hmm. um, And then you have Booster 2 is out. And the next major booster is not coming out until December. Almost every deck in the game is like either under $100 or just a little bit over $100 for the whole deck if you want to buy the singles for it. That's not bad comparatively it's not bad to other at all. stuff. Yeah. I play the most expensive deck in the game, and these 40 cards or 50 cards are 50 cards. A deck in Vanguard is 50 cards. Uh, these 50 cards are maybe worth 100 bucks total. Like, and most of that is like a playset of like the new triple rare that came out in Booster 2 because it's uh, like a high demand card for the most popular deck in the game, right? Yeah. Um, so, um, like, rule wise, is Van like what would you say Vanguard is closest to? Like uh, closest to, I would say Yu-Gi-Oh! Because your cards are like your primary resource, but the way it handles right. it is very different. Okay. Um, Yu-Gi-Oh! Your cards are your resource because monsters get summoned and then do effects that get more monsters and make big plays and build boards and right. set up and there's, there's not like energy or land cards that you yeah, develop. Yeah, that's out. not a thing in Vanguard either, but the way Vanguard works is you have... Uh, your ride line, which is now called the ride deck. This is a new thing that they've added for the new format. Um, so your ride deck has a grade zero, a grade one, a grade two, and a grade three uh, unit card in it, right? Mm-hmm. So at the start of the game, you have your grade zero face down on the table. And then you uh, you know, you know, shuffle your deck as you would. It's, it's a card game, right? Right. So you shuffle your deck. And then you draw five cards. And then you get one partial mulligan. So you look at your hand and you go, I want these cards in my deck and not in my hand. And you throw whatever cards you want. You don't want on the bottom of your deck. You draw that many to replace them. And then you're not allowed another mulligan after that. And then okay. you're, you have to shuffle your deck. So you get you get the one mulligan. It's pretty risky. Um, and then what's going to happen? Let's say I have my deck in front of me now, so I'm just going through it and talking it out as I do it. Right. Um, so what is explain? I guess explain what like great is that kind of like like how like in Pokemon how you would have like your evolved like one two and yeah kind stage. of kind of kind of. So your Vanguard uh, can ride, which means you can put a higher grade unit card on your Vanguard to evolve it to the next grade. Right. Um, in Overdress, they added this mechanic called the ride deck, uh, where instead of having to hope you get the right cards in your hand, you can discard a discard target from your hand, like whatever card you want to get rid of, and then immediately evolve it with another card from your ride deck. So your your ride deck is zero, one, two, three. You can ride once a turn. And the grade of your Vanguard determines everything else you can do. So okay. every other card in the game has a grade, right? So right. if you have, like, let's say turn one, you draw a card, because turn one player draws a card in this game, right? Uh, and you look at your hand and you're like, okay, I don't want this, 
I don't want this Virena, so I'll discard Virena, and I can use my ride deck to go up to grade one, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, I have a grade zero in my hand, so I'll play it as a rear guard unit. You have five rear guard slots and one vanguard slot, right? Right. Three in the front, three in the back. The ones in the back can't attack, but if they're lower grade units, they can boost the front units with more power. Um, and so I have this grade one. Uh, I can't really do anything else. If I had like a grade one uh, unit or order card, orders are like spells, right? Okay. Um, and those also have a grade, and the grade of your vanguard determines if you can use them. So you can't use a grade three order with a grade one vanguard. You have to have a grade three vanguard to do that too. Every unit also has a shield value. Well, not every unit, but a considerable portion of the units have a shield value. Okay. And you can use that when your opponent attacks. If it seems like they're going to beat over and do damage, if you don't want to take the damage, uh, you can discard the shield, the correct shield value from your hand to prevent it. <clears throat> and there's uh the game ends when someone is at six damage okay yeah every time your vanguard gets beaten over you take one damage so the power values don't determine the damage you take it's just if the power value is higher than the opponents then they take one damage so so it's like once six of your creatures have been eliminated is that no, it's once six of your attacks go through on the vanguard specifically. Okay. So if you attack a rear guard and it dies, it just goes to the equivalent of the graveyard, which is called the drop zone. Okay. But if you attack the vanguard and your attack is higher than the vanguard's, then the opponent takes one damage. So the thing is, you have three units in the front row. So on a normal turn, without any other effects or buffs or anything, you have the potential to do three damage, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because you can swing with each of your front row rear guards and you can swing with your vanguard and all three of those can attack the vanguard if you want or you can attack any of your opponent's rear guards if you, if you want to get rid of them right okay yeah yeah is there this feels very similar to i'm i know a little bit about you i don't know much but is there a similar like uh, what do you call them? Like the, like the different ways of playing the. Well, like archetypes. I guess I don't know. I'm I'm kind of lost. <laughs> so the the way Vanguard works. Um, Format. That's used the to term be... I was thinking of. Oh, there's a few different formats. Yeah, there's the Overdress standard format, which is the current one that just has the two boosters and the start decks right now, basically, mm -hmm. right? Um, there's V, which is the previous, uh, format that ran for a couple years. And then there's classic, which is like an anything goes format where you can use cards from every, uh, every format. Okay. Yeah. And so All cards right. will have like a, <clears throat> cards will have like a nation and a clan and the clan doesn't really matter in overdress, but it does matter in the older formats. Um, but the nation, the nation matters in overdress. So there's six nations in Overdress. One of them hasn't come out in English yet. Uh, and you build your deck around a nation. So if you want this Dragon Empire ride line, I use Chakrabarthi Divine Dragon, right? That's my Dragon Empire ride line. It's the most expensive deck in the game. Um, if you want that ride line, you can only play Dragon Empire cards. So you can't play cards from like the Brantgate Nation or the Dark States Nation 
right? Right. Uh, you can only play Dragon Empire cards, but there's multiple ride lines in Dragon Empire and a bunch of generic support. So if I wanted to play Draconic Overlord, some of the support cards I use in uh, Nirvana, I could probably use in um, Draconic Overlord too. This sounds like a lot. I'm gonna be real. I didn't grab a lot of <laughs> a lot of that. Didn't stick. But yeah. uh, it so sounds you know how in Magic, you know how in Magic you have colors, right? Right. Like there's right, five right. colors. Yeah, yeah. That's what the nations uh, are. Is that that's what the nations are? Like but you can't mix and, and match. Or... Yeah, you can't mix okay. and match the nations like you can with colors in Magic. That's the big thing. Okay, because in 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 Magic you can do that as long as you have energy or land. Land, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And same with Pokemon, you can you can mix and match types yeah. in your deck if you have the, enough energies for it. Yeah, in Vanguard, if you play a Dragon Empire deck, you can only use Dragon Empire cards. Okay. That being said, there are multiple Dragon Empire decks, so you don't have to play the Nirvana Ride Line. You can play uh, Draconic Overlord, right? Right. Or you yeah, can yeah. play... Uh, there's another Dragon Empire Ride Line. I don't remember what it is. It's like these dudes in the desert with guns, but they're not very good. So I don't play them. Um, you know, sounds, but yeah, there's a, there's some options. It sounds like Vanguard sounds like the most interesting out of all the stuff you've told me tonight. So, so there's another mechanic that's neat, which is uh, drive and damage checks. So when your Vanguard attacks, it flips a number of cards from the top of the deck uh, according to its drive value. So most Vanguards have a drive of one. Uh, most grade three vanguards in the game right now have an ability called twin drive, which means they have a drive of two. So when you attack with a twin drive vanguard, you flip two cards from the top of the deck. You check to see if they're trigger cards. If they're trigger cards, then you get an effect based on what kind of trigger they are. So okay. let's say, for example, I flip a front trigger and a critical trigger, right? The front trigger says, all my front row units get plus 10,000 attack. Until end of turn. Simple, right? It just means right. all my guys get buffed up. They can they can hit a little bit harder. The critical uh, trigger says one of your units gets plus ten thousand and uh, an additional critical. And what that means is most units have one critical by default, right? Mm -hmm. um, the critical trigger adds one critical, and critical determines the amount of damage you deal when you beat over the vanguard. So okay. yeah, right, right. if if I hit, say, two critical triggers, now I'm hitting for three damage if I beat over the Vanguard. Okay, and that's half of what you need. That's to half of their life already, yeah. So let's say I hit, this is the other thing. There's a special type of trigger card that you're only allowed one of in your deck. It's called an over-trigger. The over-trigger, first effect is it applies 100 million attack to a unit of your choosing. That's a lot. Is that a lot? <laughs> until Until end of turn. It's it's basically unstoppable, but is that there's like, also that's like Exodia with the infinite attack. <laughs> yeah, and it also applies a secondary effect based on what over trigger you're using. There's a generic one that you can use in every deck that gives a hundred million to another unit, and then each uh, each nation has like their own over trigger right now. So like the one I have restands the vanguard. So like, let's say. <clears throat> I'm just getting the cards out here. Let's say I attack with Nirvana and I flip, say, the critical trigger and the over trigger, right? Mm -hmm. 
So I'm guaranteeing I'm guaranteeing a hit right now, and that hit is going to hit for two damage. My opponent now does a damage check. For every damage they're about to take, they flip the top card of their deck. If it's a trigger, they get the trigger effect. So the only way they can stop this is if they also flip their over trigger, which is a super hype moment that almost never happens. Um, now, my Dragon Empire over trigger says uh, additional effect, restand your vanguard. So I untap my vanguard, it goes back to the standing state, and then it can attack again. And then I get two more drives. So then let's say I hit two more critical triggers, right? right. So now my, my vanguard has a critical of four. And I've just won the game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's it's very unlikely to happen. I only have eight critical triggers in my deck, right? Right. Um, I have four of because the play sets are in four, and there's two Dragon Empire critical triggers in the game right now, so I can run up to eight. So I run four copies of Blaze Maiden Zon, and I run four copies of Conduct Spark Dragon. <clears throat> And there's also heal triggers where if you have more damage than your opponent, then you can remove one of your damage markers. Uh, your damage markers are also cards, and whether they're flipped face up or face down depends on whether they can be used as a, or determines whether they can be used as a cost for certain abilities. So okay. like every every resource in this game is cards in like a different zone that does something different. You know, you have discard as cost. Uh, you have uh, soul, which is the cards that go under your vanguard that can be sent to the drop zone as cost. Um, so right. normally when your Vanguard rides, it goes on top of the previous card. But there's also other cards that like put themselves in the soul, so you can pump it up a little bit. Uh, you have uh, Counter, which is when you have damage marked. Like, let's say you've taken three damage, right? So you have three face-up cards in your damage zone. And you have a card that says Counter Blast 2. Okay. To trigger the counterblast two effect and pay its cost, you flip two of them over. So now they're face down in your damage zone. They're still marking three damage, but now two of them can't be used for counter effects anymore. And there's also counter charge, which lets you flip them back to face up. Everything in the game is cards as a resource. It's really cool. Okay, that I like that. Yeah. Because you have your triggers when you flip them from the deck. Uh, you have your vanguard and your soul. Uh, you have, you know, your rear guards doing different things. Um, drop zone might do some stuff. Uh, and there's also... My deck has a mechanic that nothing else in the game really has right now called Overdress. Mm -hmm. uh, which essentially lets you ride on your rear guards with certain cards. So, like, I have a rear guard called Trickstar, right? And if Trickstar is on the field and I have a Virena in my hand... I can find one in my deck. I only run two copies. If I have a Virena in my hand, uh, it overdresses onto Trickstar and now counts as being in the overdress state, which gives it additional effects. Okay. And then I also have a grade three overdress card, which can overdress onto Virena or any, any grade three or less unit in the overdress state. <coughs> Excuse me. And I can put that on on top of Irina, and now it has two uh, original dress, it's called, which is the overdress equivalent of soul. And it has effects based on that, too. Uh, so being in the overdress state matters, and having the overdress ability matters. 
and having original dress matters. So there's a bunch of different mechanics that are at play there. I imagine the overdress mechanic is eventually going to come to other decks. Uh, right, right now, only Dragon Empire it has it. It is the name of the game. Yep. Right now, only Dragon Empire has it, because it's the main character's deck in the anime. Okay, that... <laughs> yep. yep. Um... The game's cool. Starter decks are three dollars. Okay. Yep. Yeah. They really, they really want people playing this game. I might, I might look into it. I don't really have a job or income right now, so I don't know if I need to be buying cards. But. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe, no, I don't blame you. <laughs> maybe it'll, maybe it'll still be this cheap one. <laughs> uh, what I'd suggest is. Uh, cop a couple of the starter decks because they're super cheap. Get some sleeves. It takes Yu-Gi-Oh! size sleeves. They're Japanese size cards. Mm-hmm. And uh, just like find a friend to play it with and see if you like it. Yeah. Because it's the barrier to entry is six dollars. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. That's fine. $6. You you will absolutely be able to understand the mechanics of the game and how it plays with like six dollars. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I will. I'm. I might. I might. I'll pay six dollars to play a card game. I could pay a lot more to play yeah. a lot of other games. So. Um, you got anything else? We kind of went on a. a real yeah, we went on a huge tangent. Uh, I've been playing. Uh, I've been playing a game called The Ramp. It's like a two-hour-long indie game about skateboarding. That sounds like it's your thing. Um, yeah, it's just fun to play. It's. I still have a few more achievements to get. Um, is it like a skateboarding game, like a like as in Tony Hawk is, or is it more like? Yeah, it's a little more. It's a little more arcadey. It's not a simulator. Okay, um, so it's more like a. Was, was it it has like a really. It has a weird mechanic where you have to like pump your legs at different points on the ramp to. What's the name get of it? Acceleration. It's just called the ramp. The ramp. Okay. Yep. Uh, did you ever play Ollie Ollie? I didn't. I heard that's like a two D skateboarding game, right? Yeah, it's I I loved it. It was my favorite. That's neat. I might check it out. Um, it's a shame it's, that like the Tony Hawk series is dead forever. Yeah. You know. Yeah, we got we got a really good remake. And then now the studio is in the Blizzard mines, getting sexually assaulted. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What a what a way to end it on. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's so fucking miserable. Yeah, this whole Blizzard thing really is terrible. And I don't know what um, we expected out of. I don't well, know. and the best part is like, best, uh, boycotting Activision Blizzard is like the easiest shit in the world because they only put out like one game a year, and it's the same fucking game every year. And it's usually it's not even great all the time. It's yeah, it's usually not even good. Cold War sucked ass. Why? <laughs> Don't play Overwatch uh, 2. I wasn't even playing Overwatch 1. Yeah, exactly, right? Everyone's like, well, I don't know, stop playing StarCraft. It's like, people are still fucking playing that game? Yeah, and even, I mean, if you play StarCraft, is it like StarCraft 2? Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's Star- I mean, in Korea, they're like playing the original version of Brood War because they... they they're just addicted to that, but is that um, is, isn't that game old enough though to where it's like 
you can play it without really supporting Activision Blizzard. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, um, especially because I've been wanting to. I've actually been wanting to do a, a retrospective of the. Well, that's not even Activision Blizzard, but of, of the Age of Empires games, and that kind of made me also want to play StarCraft, like those RTS games. I think I think all the Age of Empire games are actually on. Uh, Game Pass. Game Pass. Yeah, yeah. they are. Um, they're like remasters, but I mean, it's nothing's fundamentally changed about how they play. Really. No, those are the those are the best versions of the games, the ones that are on Game Pass. Um, yeah, I don't know if they have one. I know they have two and three, but one is like a weird like. There's also like no reason to play one. Yeah, because one doesn't really change enough. Or from one to two, like two is, it's sort of the, uh, like two is just a better version of one from what I've heard. It is. Yeah. It's just one with more content. It's like, there's no reason to play Warcraft one. Yeah. Warcraft two is just one with more content for the most part. It's got a different story, but I mean, the story yeah. in the first two Warcraft games is like barely in the game. And, and it's, there's different settings. Cause like Age of Empires one is a lot more like, like Greek and Roman kind of setting, which is interesting. You know what, you know what game I love? As like a single player RTS. What? Warcraft three. Warcraft three is you can't play Warcraft three anymore. Exactly. They took away <laughs> my Warcraft three that I own to try and sell me a bad version of Warcraft three. Technically, I can still play it. It's just I have to play the new version, and I don't get any of the remaster improvements. And it's all in this weird giant bloated client now instead of being less than a gig. Is there is there just a way that you can like pirate? Or not even pirate yes. at this point. Like download the you original. Can you can totally, you can totally just pirate the original version of the game. Um, but there's no it, way to officially download it. Is it pirating if they don't sell it anymore? Yeah, exactly. It's basically abandonware. Um, yeah, it's a shame because like they, I love and it's Reign not even of that Chaos, they've, and they've I really stopped. love Frozen Throne. It's not even that they've stopped selling it. It's that they aggressively don't want you to play it. <laughs> Yeah, because they they, they fucked it up and then released it anyway, and then unreleased the original versions of the game. What did what did like? What, what was I've I've seen these in all these comment sections talking about like was it Blizzard, Bioware, and like the the three Bethesda. Bs of the, Bethesda, yeah. <laughs> you know what the funniest thing about the three Bs is? Blizzard used to be like the good one of those, and now and Bethesda was like the worst one, right? You know, it's and now of... it's like it's like completely flipped. <laughs> Bethesda still is so, great. I would but... I would much rather play Fallout Four over the last two fucking Bioware games. That's true. That is true. <laughs> And I don't even would, like Fallout 4, but like... I mean, id, all of the stuff in Bethesda. I mean, they published that. They didn't really develop it. They published still. that. But I mean, talking about like Bethesda Software specifically, like uh, Fallout 4 is a better game than Mass Effect Andromeda, and Fallout 76 is a better game than Anthem. <laughs> is it? It's definitely better than Anthem at doing the same thing as Anthem, yeah. Yeah, Fallout 4 didn't... Or Fallout 76 didn't brick... PS4s like Anthem did. Yeah, I own a copy of Fallout 76. I played it once at launch because a, a friend bought two copies and didn't want to return one. Why did he buy two? So he could play well, with he someone. He bought the game. He bought the game and he got the contact info from like the GameStop manager because they had sold out of the uh, Power Armor Helmet Edition. 
um, and he really wanted that version. And so he got a call that someone had like returned like a completely sealed in box version of it with the helmet. Uh, so he went and got that, and then he didn't want to return the original version of Fallout 76 that he had bought because like it was just not worth his time to to go and do it. He was working like 12 hour shifts at the time. He just couldn't be yeah. be asked to, you know. Um, that makes sense. So he gave it to me, and I have a physical copy of Fallout 76. Wasn't that, wasn't that like the helmet that had like that got recalled because of the glue or whatever? No, no, it wasn't. What, was um, what am I thinking? That of? was that was a different collect. It's it's actually basically the same helmet, but um, it has a different paint job on it. And that one was like a standalone collector's item that you would buy separately. Okay, and that it was like yeah. causing breathing problems or whatever, right? It, it, it basically it was it was growing mold. Okay. Yeah, but the the one he has doesn't do that. It was just that one specific specific model of it. Yeah. So, um, do you want to what What are we? What is the album next week? We all we forgot to do that kind of. So. Yeah, the album next week is going to be Love Gun. Um, I'm I'm kind of mad that I'm missing Love Gun. Yeah. Um, it's the last yeah. Peter Chris. Uh, last full Peter Chris album for like a while, yeah. Yeah, uh, he was replaced by session drummer Anton Fig for all but one song on 1979's Dynasty, and then after that, yeah, that was his last album. Um, Love Gun as a song is great. Uh, that's cool. Hopefully, the album's good. I, um, I hope so too. I will still listen to it and I'll probably like send you like some highlights Spotify, of my notes. Spotify only has the fancy deluxe edition, but it looks like it's the first ten tracks and then uh demos live, and interviews and stuff. Some, some live, live stuff, stuff, yeah. yeah. Um that demo actually has um that tomorrow and tonight demo i think according to wikipedia no it's the christine 16 demo uh has eddie and alex van halen because they were like studio musicians according to wikipedia so that, that's cool there's a i'm i actually was i really like this art too there's like all of these like kiss babes or whatever that also have face paint yeah yeah they're all just like um sprawled around like the the bottom of the album art as kiss is like walking into the room but at, at first i didn't realize that they were supposed to be babes because their outfit is like just as revealing as like gene simmons like gene simmons and paul stanley's yeah. yeah they're wearing just just skimpy outfits as all the like <laughs> that's uh... that's gender equality right there that's <laughs> that's what it's all about thank you gene simmons for wearing no clothes um, a cardboard love gun was included inside the album that the listener had to put together. Okay. Uh, we could we see if we could find one of them. <laughs> well, don't don't blow don't blow all the trivia because I I want to save some for the episode. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I I kind of I kind of started looking at all the trivia because I I knew I wouldn't be there for the next episode. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say before we sign off here? Um, 
Rock and Roll Over is a bad album. It's terrible. Horrible album. That's what I'll end on. Yep. Cool album art. That's about it. Yep. See you next week, everybody. Next week. Except Gort won't, but I won't. I will. Yeah. (laughs) All right.